pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 95. Today I'm going to chat with Paul Glasgow from Legally Armed America, talk about a raid gone wrong, discuss Trump's stance on silencers, and review the Mossberg MC1SC. I am your host, Ava Flannell, and right now I'm sitting here with band-aids wrapped around my fingers, and that's because, Paul, have you ever done any like woodworking? Unfortunately, yes. All right. So then you understand where I'm coming from. So I don't know why I decided that it would be a good idea to create my own, like these wood end tables for my living room because I saw two slabs of like really nice wood on Facebook marketplace. And I was like, Oh, I could do that. I'm really, you know, I'm actually pretty creative and and pretty handy contrary to, you know, my girliness. But so I've been sanding this wood. I just filled it with epoxy and I put like a a silver kind of like glittery color in with it and then yeah i've been i worked on that this morning and i like all my my knuckles everything is bleeding right now i look like i have man hands anyways yeah so that's how my morning's going and then i drank too much coffee i think so yay we the show's gonna be so much fun (laughs) all right before we get into it let's hear from manicore arms Manicore Arms. Paul, I don't know if you're familiar with their products, but they make a bunch of different products that just kind of make your life easier. So for example, take the Tavor Sar. It was made in Israel. And typically in Israel, their their optics are made a little bit higher. So as a result, the SAR is, you know, it's pretty low, like the top rail. So Manicore Arms created a Tavor Overwatch top rail that adds about a half an inch so that when we put our optics on the gun, it just kind of lines up nicely with our eyes. And that way we don't have to, you know, be uncomfortable when we're shooting that gun. Um, but they make a bunch of other products and I definitely recommend checking them out. Go to manicorearms.com and use the code gunfunny15 and that gets you 15% off. Learn the things you never knew. On Deconstructing the Industry. All right, Paul. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, of course, I am with Legally Armed America. We started it probably in 2012. And it's evolved in what we originally started doing was putting a show on cable television locally down in South Louisiana, which is where I'm at and where I'm from. And we're lucky enough where we're entering our second season on Fox in uh, Texas and Louisiana down here. We've moved over from cable to uh, the Fox network. And uh, that's been really good for us. I actually am one of the few people who believed at least that uh, television was old and nobody watched it anymore because I don't watch it. Mm -hmm. And apparently people still watch it because whenever we moved from cable to Fox, and it really, really grew our viewership. And we saw our online numbers, which is where our real strength was on YouTube. We saw those numbers go up quite a bit. We hit after, let's see, last year was 2018. So it took us five and a half years, five to five and a half years to get to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. And since August of last year, we've already added another 50,000. So 
what took us quite a long time to uh to even accomplish on youtube we've we've already gotten well past that in, in a very short period of time so we have to attribute a lot of that to um, the local television on Fox. Fox has actually been really good to us. A, a really quick side note, and this is not bragging. This is just something that I'm proud of. When Fox put us on, they put us on Sunday mornings down here. And we come on immediately following Chris Wallace's uh, new show on Fox News. That's a national, his is a national program. And they put us on there so that we would carry the uh, uh, the conservative base out of that Fox News network's uh, national show into ours. And oddly enough, for the last eight months, we've actually been outranking Chris Wallace's show. So it's it's kind of a cool accomplishment for us to know that what they thought would bring people to us, we're actually outrating his show now. Wow, that is really impressive. What, I mean, how did you originally start? Um, actually, it's kind of kind of unusual. I had a conservative talk show on cable television down here, and there's a lot of good and bad with that. The bad is that it's extremely polarizing, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. If you're conservative or liberal, you are definitely alienating a certain amount of people. And it's very, very hard to generate any revenue with a conservative talk show, even if you're dealing with businesses that are uh, owned by conservative people because they don't want to alienate their own customer base who may be, say, liberal. And mine was a very conservative talk show. Mm -hmm. Well, we actually, on my conservative talk show, we did a lot of uh, gun stuff. Uh, There was a lot of gun legislation. Of course, this was during Obama's glory years. So I probably started that conservative show in about 2008 and I noticed that, for one, I couldn't get sponsors because I had a couple of attorneys who would underwrite my show quietly off the record because they wanted me to stay on the air. But they didn't want anybody to know that they were sp- sponsoring my show for fear that it would hurt their clientele. And um, whenever I would do gun segments, they were very popular. I would get lots of emails and lots of feedback. So in 2012, I decided to uh, I'd already bought the domain name for Legally Armed America. And um, I decided to go ahead and do a spinoff show and just see how it would do. I figured I would give it three months and see see how it did. And it took off. And it, within a year, I ended my conservative talk show and focused strictly on Legally Owned America. For one, I could make money doing some of the stuff. And two, it appealed to so many more people. And it's more fun. I mean, quite frankly, politics is not fun. I mean, it, you stay aggravated and you stay agitated all the time. You hear and you see things that aggravate you. So I noticed a certain stress level, uh, a little bit of ease in my life went away <laughs> around that time also. So, uh, yeah, the gun side of it, focusing mainly on it is a lot more fun than doing anything on the political realm. Yeah, I could just imagine. So is this something that you do full time? Eventually, yes. Uh, I don't do it full time now because I have uh, I own a I won't say who it is, of course, but I own a construction business where we build custom uh, designed and custom-made swimming pools in people's backyards, like the big, nice, fancy ones. And uh, that is that is actually how I was able to fund um, my conservative show and my uh, gun show, Legally on America, until it got on its own feet because I w- had that revenue generating. And it's not something I, – I hired a new guy uh, this past year that I'm grooming to take completely over and run my entire organization so I can completely step away from it. I'm spending about 40 to 50% of my time on my construction business. And as soon as I can walk completely away from it, um, I'll be able to devote more time, which would require some travel and things like that in the gun industry. So, yes, I my intent is within a year I'll be doing Legally Armed America full time. 
Very nice. So then you understand the fact that my hands are hurting right now. If you Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was actually working before I got on your call. Uh, so yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> um, so I was like, just kind of skimming through your website and I read the about section and um, two things I kind of laughed about. So you said that growing up when you guys needed to prune a tree, instead of just getting out like a saw, um, you would get out a 12 gauge with four shot loads. And that was yes. the easiest way to print it. Like, that's actually pretty funny. So I'm assuming that you probably grew up like in the country. I did. Um, I grew up not in a wealthy family. I grew up relatively poor, which when you're poor and you have good family around you, you don't realize you're poor. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Definitely. <laughs> we didn't know we were poor. We just knew that we didn't dress as nice as everybody else and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I got older, I realized wow, we were pretty poor. And, uh, we, we grew up around firearms my whole life. Um, I remember the first gun I ever shot um, was a 22. I still have it, a little Winchester uh, 22 uh, tube fed magazine uh, long rifle. And it was my dad's and actually um, probably graduated from that to my brother's 410 and went from the 410 immediately to a shotgun. I actually never shot a 20 gauge until I was probably in my 20s. And uh, it was just normal for us. I mean, we... It's like I, I feel like most people today would probably be a whole lot better off if they raised their children the way we were raised. We didn't, you know, we didn't have this stigma or mystery surrounding guns. I mean, my mom had a 22 long rifle revolver under her nightstand, and my dad had a 357 revolver that I also still have. It's a Colt single action army 357 that was my dad's nickel plated and i still got, uh, have it that was under my dad's uh headstand on his side and i i can remember as a kid you know having friends come over and we would play hide and seek and uh, i remember you know hiding in my mom and dad's bedroom i'm sure they wouldn't have been too too happy about that but you know we sit with the we see the gun sitting there i wouldn't say in the open but they weren't like hidden it wasn't like it was under a bunch of stuff and it was nothing to us, even my friends, you know, it was like nobody grabbed and said, Ooh, look, that's, there's a gun. You know, nobody held it. Nobody pointed it at each other. We all respected guns. And it's, you know, nowadays, no one would ever do that. No one could, I don't feel like, well, I say, I shouldn't say no one that's generalizing, but you shouldn't obviously leave those guns laying out because there's so many kids nowadays that are drawn to that stuff because their parents haven't trained them or raised them to respect guns or, you know, guns were nothing to us. I mean, it it wasn't a thing that we had this this aura surrounding it that we were attracted to that we ooh let's go play with that even though yeah. we're not supposed to. I totally agree. It's funny because growing up, um, I mean, I only shot my first gun seven years ago, but I did grow up around guns. And you know, you're when you're a kid, you think your parents know everything, and you know, and then you become an adult and you look back and you're like, whoa, pump the brakes. What were my parents thinking? So my dad right. kept a loaded shotgun right by his side of the bed out in the open, like not even, you know, underneath the bed or anything. But my sister and I always knew, like, don't go into my parents' bedroom. Absolutely don't touch the guns. And there wasn't any curiosity about it. We just knew what they were there for. We knew what they were capable of doing. And we just had no interest. And so that's why, like, when I do teach my classes, I tell parents that even if they don't own a gun, at least teach your kids the very basics, that if they see a gun, stop, don't touch, leave the area, tell an adult. Because maybe they're, you know, maybe their kids go to their friend's house, their friend's parents, you know, have guns out in the open. And, you know, and it's like, you never know. And then I also think that there's a lot to be said about sort of demystifying that curiosity where if you talk to them about it, show them, maybe if they're mature enough, bring them to the range, to, you know, let them shoot, let them see what guns are capable of doing. 
where it's not like video games where you shoot the bad guy, game's over, and then the next scene, the bad guy's back a lot. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I do think it is crazy how things have just changed just in a short period of time and how kids were back then versus how they are now nowadays. Well, you mentioned something, too, that I think is spot on that I try to push to a lot of people on my show and everything else is the fact that if you guard and shield your children from these guns, I mean, let's say until they're in their teens or something, to, because in your mind, you're thinking, oh, well, now they're ready. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think you're running short of right there when you do that is the fact that those kids don't have a full respect of the damage that that gun can do. I don't mean respect in a positive way. I mean the damage yeah. that a gun can do. I can remember shooting a 12 gauge for the first time when I wasn't ready to shoot one. Now it wasn't from an unsafe thing. It's not like my dad put me in a bad situation. We were dove hunting and uh, I remember my 410 was malfunctioning. So my dad gave me his 12 gauge and I remember I shot it one time. And, uh, you know, when I grew up, I was a very skinny kid Mm -hmm. and I remember shooting that thing going, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) there was no way if I would have seen that thing, even if I wanted to, it was mysteriously uh, drawn to this gun uh, in my parents' home, there's no way after shooting it that I would have gone and fooled with that gun because I yeah. saw and felt what it could do. And whether it was fear or respect, I respected that 12 gauge after that. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a totally re- different respect for, of all guns, realizing, wow, look at the damage this, that this thing can do. And I think that if you would introduce children to that at an early enough age, they're not going to say, ooh, let's go grab that gun and shoot stuff up. To me, it does just the opposite. It makes him realize I'm only going to shoot that thing when I have to or when I'm hunting or something like that. It's not a – even like now, I mean, a 450 thumper or something like that. Yes, it recalls hard, and uh, it may be fun to shoot once or twice a year, but it's not something that I want to go shoot all the time. Yeah. And uh, it's because you get a respect for some of these things. And I think these kids, unfortunately, if the only – if the first time they've ever shot a gun is whenever they're 10 or 11 years old, when they stumble across it in their parents' closet or, or garage or something like that, that's the wrong time. You know, mom and dad should be introducing them to them. And again, if it leaves a bruise on a shoulder, so what? You just you just educated this child what this gun can do. And I promise you, whether they admit it or not, they've gained a little bit of respect for that for that tool. Absolutely. Uh, it also said you're an ordained minister. Yeah, that's kind of a it's uh, kind of an inside joke, but I really am an ordained minister. <laughs> How did that come about? <laughs> um, my well. Let me just tell you this. First of all, it's really not a big deal. Anybody can do it. <laughs> yeah. If you, so I've, if you I've heard that, I, I used to, there was like something that you could just go on the internet, right? And that's exactly right. Okay. I mean, you you go online and you, if you Google how to become an ordained minister, uh, take your pick, you know. But my brother and one of his friends that he was in the military with, they're really, really close. And uh, probably about 10 years ago, uh, my brother's friend was getting married and they, my brother was very close to their family and to the kids. He'd just grown up with them, you know, knowing them. And uh, he ended up becoming an ordained minister so that he could marry them. That's how close he was to the family. And um, when I started doing all the gun stuff, I mean, of course, I started getting a lot of the negative and the anti-gunners coming out of the woodwork. And I thought it would be kind of ironic. You know, the, all of them that were telling me that I wasn't a Christian and they were telling me all these horrible things about the fact that I was a gun guy, um, that I was, you know, bad and evil. So I thought I would throw some irony on it by becoming an ordained minister to where I would actually be a, a quote, man of the cloth and they weren't. So (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy that, you know, like in my career, I haven't really experienced anyone who's that anti-gun. I mean, you'll get into like 
little disputes, you know, like on Facebook, like news articles and stuff. And I don't care. Like I'll, you know, I'll get into disputes. I mean, I'm, I'm totally respectful about it, but kind of hoping that maybe even I could change some opinions, but I haven't really experienced too much of that. But I guess I'm sure like when you started, it might've even have been a little bit different. Yeah. And I actually, um, I will do, I will get online and I'll make, you know, I'll comment on various things. I've actually gotten pretty close to the FBI guys here in the Southwest Louisiana area mm-hmm. because I've had enough death, uh, excuse me, death threats from wackos and clowns out there. None that I really thought were serious, Yeah. but at least three of them that made direct threats against me and my family, anti-gun people. Actually, one is probably as uh, recent as three weeks ago. Unfortunately, my wife was also one that saw the comment and that freaks her out. Uh, my wife is an engineer, so she's very black and white in her mind you know there's no gray area and when you threaten us she takes that as oh this guy knows us and is threatening to end our lives you know not like me where i'm like that's nothing you know this guy's full of crap yeah um but (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um so she uh you know she that upset her some guy said that he hoped my wife and my kid died in a fire a house fire because i was a uh, gun guy so it's stuff like that that, you know, I'm I'm actually used to now, but I do take it serious because you just never know when you do have one of the wackos out there. I didn't report that guy because I really don't think that he was uh, serious. But I have I've had three that made very direct threats uh, to me and my family. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, they're anti-gun people that yeah, are pre- preaching. To, like, apparently end violence and yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, we're against gun violence, but I hope somebody shoots you. Really? Uh-huh. I know. And then one last thing, just on your about section, which I kind of laughed, you were like the bar, the Barbara Walters question, if you could only grab two weapons to defend your family with, what would they be and why? And you chose a 1911 and a 12 gauge shotgun. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of a a very FUD answer. (laughs) Well, I'm not trying to call you a FUD, but I had to laugh. And I'm sure that that's what you, you know, you grew up with. So, yes. And that was probably... That has evolved since then. The shotgun still, I still have the shotgun for several reasons that the shotgun is something that I do use to defend myself, but it's definitely not a 1911 anymore. Oddly enough, there are some things, you know, that happen in your life that change things. Mm -hmm. And I literally used to carry a 1911. Now, when I talk about a 1911, it is not, it's a 1911 that I would have already gone over myself because I love to work on 1911s. I'm very familiar with them. I just have an affinity for the technology of it. I think that's my main appeal to a 1911 is how amazing it is that John Brown could invent this thing out of nothing when there yeah. was nothing like it. I mean, that's very impressive to me. Absolutely. But I don't carry a 1911. That's not what I carry. Uh, I'm, I'm a person that believes in round count. You know, yeah, of course, you can take either side of the argument. The guys that, oh, you know, I've got seven rounds on my 1911. I only need one bullet to knock a guy down, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I like statistics and I like reading statistics and, you know, most people miss with their first two shots. So I feel like that only leaves me five with a 1911, not not dogging a 1911. I'm just telling you that I know my capability and I would never rely on just seven rounds in a magazine if I had a choice of, yeah. of having more. Well, and I, I same thing I tell my students, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, don't I just need one round? And it's like, I consider myself a pretty good shot. I already know I'm going to need one more than one round. It usually That's right. takes it usually takes more than one round to stop somebody, not to kill them, but just to stop them because their adrenaline's rushing. Maybe they're on drugs, they're drunk, you know, maybe they're wearing heavy clothing. Who's to say there's only going to be one person 
Right. You know, maybe there's five people that break into your house. So now you really have to make those, you know, those yeah. count. So I always say, hey, worst case scenario, like you have more ammo and you don't need it, but I'd rather have that option than wish that I had more. So I, I completely agree with you on that. Tell me about your, you're working on writing a book. Tell me about that. Okay. I'm writing two, the most recent one that hopefully is going to be out by Christmas, uh, at least before SHOT Show, because I have some things that I've got to do at SHOT Show next year. So I better have it ready by then. I have a special needs son and uh, he's 10 and a half years old and our life has completely changed with him in it for the better. I mean, I, and I do mean that I texted my wife a lot of, a, a while ago, they had a, at the therapy center that I dropped them off to this morning, they had like a little father's day thing in there where the kids had painted a mug for the dads and the dads got to go in as we were dropping them off and visit with them for a little while before we left. And uh, I just texted my wife. I was like, wow, you know, I really love that little boy. I mean, we do, we, we can't really communicate with my son. My son is autistic. And um, he, again, at 10 and a half, he's got a very, very limited vocabulary. One that we're kind of the only ones that understand mm-hmm. uh, even his own therapist will, when he says something to them that we understand, they're like, Oh, they don't understand. They don't know what he's saying. He's, 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 his vocabulary and even his understanding of your vocabulary is very limited. Mm-hmm. So that makes it kind of tough to talk to him. Now he's grown up around guns literally his whole life. Uh, he's seen them broken down on a coffee table, sitting in my lap in my chair in the living room, on the floor in the living room, on the kitchen table. And not once has my son ever felt like a gun was something that he wanted to be around. However, I don't leave any loaded guns in any kind of way to where he has access to them, even though he could care less about guns. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, it kind of hit me talking to a couple of different people, like whenever I've made mention for no particular reason, but made mention in my uh, video here or there on my television show about, you know, especially if you have special needs kids, you know, you might want to consider this because it's things that I live that are part of my life. And I've had people comment or private message me or email me back saying, Hey, I have a special needs son too, or daughter. And uh, what do you recommend I do here? And I've start I've gotten so much of those comments and responses over the last four or five years that it just hit me last year. I was like, you know, there is no good resource out there, you know, to not get into a, a medical discussion. You know, 10 years ago, it was one in 200 kids uh, that had autism this year. Well, the, the latest CDC numbers are probably from three years ago, and it's one in 58 boys has it. And like my wife and I have said, if that's what the latest was three years ago, it's probably one in about 40 boys now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go to these autism centers, I see the number of kids there, and, and it's kind of heartbreaking to see the the numbers are growing so fast. And I hear people say it's because more people are being diagnosed. That's not true. The symptoms that I see these kids with, they didn't, that didn't exist. I remember the special education classes and I went to a very large school and we had maybe eight kids in the special education class um, at the high school that I went to. And now there's like a large percentage of the school is dedicated to these kids. And it's not just kids that are slow. It's kids that are like my son that will never live on their own. Yeah. So again, I, these numbers are dramatically increasing. So I was like, you know what, what's scary to me is we are older for parents. My wife and I are, we waited to have our son much later in our life. But what's scary to me is these younger people that are in their twenties that I see in these autism centers that are having kids that they grow up. Louisiana is known as a sportsman's paradise. Okay. Cause everybody hunts fishes and whatever down here. It's just, it's huge. So there's there's guns in almost every home down here. And it's scary to me to look at these young parents knowing 
that they're probably not as seasoned and as experienced of, of a gun person as me and some of the older people. And here they are with a special needs child. And the biggest fear I would have is one of these kids shooting themselves because they don't understand what the gun is. You can't, my son will walk out in the middle of a six lane highway with traffic going both ways and not even look either way and walk right out in front of those vehicles. They don't understand fear. My son has fallen into a swimming pool and sunk to the bottom of it before. And I'm, I'm not trying to overgeneralize autistic kids because a lot of autistic kids that are higher on the spectrum, higher functioning, they do understand these dangers. But, but somebody like my son that's very low functioning, he does not understand that. And he may never understand those dangers. So it's, it's not a matter of educating my son because you can't get through to him to a certain level. It's a matter of me changing the way I do things to make his life safer around my house. And that's essentially what the book is about. Um, I will be including some other chapters that will be on other special needs, but obviously the book, probably about 80% of it will be focused or is focused on uh, autistic kids and, you know, life experience that that I have seen. I mean, my son, I've given my son um, water pistols and other pistols just to play with, you know, I'm talking about toy guns. Mm -hmm. And the first thing my son does, I guess, because of the way the guns are made and the way they're shaped, first thing he will do, and this is going to make people cringe is he'll take the barrel, put it in his mouth, and pull the trigger. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, I see that, and I'm like, oh, my God. That's the I scariest thought, thing. I mean, I thought you were going to say, like, put your finger on the trigger. And I was like, oh, well, you should come into my classroom because that's, like, initially what every student does before, <laughs> them, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, well, that's scary by itself. You're dealing with adults that should know yeah, better, yeah. you know. But that but, is. That is scary. That it is because, I mean, it makes me think, what if I were stupid enough and careless enough to just leave a loaded gun laying somewhere, mm-hmm. which my gun, my son is not drawn to an actual gun. You know, like I said, a yeah. water pistol with the bright colors and all that, he'll gravitate to. But he's never, I don't know if my son's ever even touched a real gun before. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not a big deal. It, it's like anything else to him. He's just not interested in it. Yeah. But what if it were that one time where I were careless enough and stupid enough to do that? You know, I come in and find my kid laying on the kitchen floor, you know, with a gun in his mouth. I don't, yeah. I mean, what do you do? How do you handle that as a parent? You know? So I think it's very important. Then there are some, some things that we can do to educate our kids and make them a little safer. Uh, and, and again, more in many cases, it's on us to just make the, the their surroundings safer. It's just, a, the book is also how to, Handle yourself around guns. Um, if you do have a high-functioning child, the things that you need to do to explain to them um, the dangers of the guns, those that can't understand that. So it's covering a, a vast ar- uh, array of things. But, of course, it's got a lot of my own life experiences in there. And I'm also getting some feedback. And if your viewers don't mind, if you have anyone in your audience that listens that um, that either has a special needs child, whether they're wheelchair-bound, autistic, high-functioning, low-functioning, just whatever, whatever their affliction might be. Um, I would love to get feedback from them because I'm, I'm including a ton of the feedback from these types of parents and life experiences that they have seen and used and things that have worked for them in their own homes and their own lives in this book as well. I mean, it's really a book that's going to include a lot of input from other people. And for listeners who want to get in touch with you, where can they find you for that? They can always email me at paul at legallyarmedamerica.com. Again, paul at legallyarmedamerica.com. And I'm pretty responsive. Within a day, I usually address all of my emails. And then, so that's the the first book that you're working on. Yes. And the you said there was another book. There is another book. There's one that's going to be a little bit more fun, but uh, equally serious at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and it is uh, a book on raising young men to be or young boys to be men. You know, for some reason, 
it's become an embarrassment to be a, a, a man these days. Uh, this made up war on women that you keep hearing about and, and, you know, all these other things that to me, yes, I understand. I grew up with a very strong uh, mother in my house. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom, excuse me, my dad did whatever my mom told him to do. You know, my mom was very strong in the house. Yeah. So, you know, it's my brother and I scratch our heads sometimes at stupid things we hear about the war on women because we're like, dude, my mom was the war. Yeah. You know, she, she brought it. And uh, so we, it, it just, it's not something that I can wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. So I see so many of the, and, and I'm an older guy. So, I mean, the guys that I hire to work for me, I see how soft they are. You know, like one of my supervisors made the comment the other day that this kid here has never done any real work. It's not that he's not built as a 25 year old kid. He's like, dude, you could actually walk to the mailbox twice a day and have more muscle tone than this guy does. He's just soft. He does nothing. And this book is going to be about things, little anecdotes that people have experienced through their lives that made them uh, want to be a, a better man or a better person. I don't think there's anything wrong with holding a door open for a woman. I don't think that's offensive. I don't think that's a man's way of saying, let me get this door because you're too weak to open it. I think it's a politeness. And again, I was born and raised in the South, so I know we have a little bit different type of chivalry. But, you know, it is going to be a book. There are I don't want to let the cat out the bag about who some of the people are, but there are some notable people that are either in the gun community or are very popular in different circles uh, that, we're, that we're in that are going to actually be providing stories for me. And we'll kick each chapter off with a short story or a short anecdote from a particular person of, you know, at what point they either were taught something that stuck in their mind to be a better person, a stronger man um, at a young age. And then we'll, the chapter will take off from there covering things. And it may be a chapter on manners, you know, how to treat people, how to be respectful for people, but be firm and respectful, things like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's just something that I think is very necessary right now. And I'm hoping hopefully by the summer of next year that that book will be out also. Very nice. It's kind of sad that it's necessary because it, I mean, it's definitely it's like the decline of America. It is. And I mean, I don't think that there's a I, I, I don't mind telling anyone. I don't think there's anything wrong with a man being the guy that, you know, is the one that goes out. When you hear bump in the night, I don't want my wife going outside whenever I'm perfectly capable and I should be the one. Look, I, I, as far as, quote, equality goes, and Ava, you should know me well enough to know that I, how I mean this. Mm -hmm. You and I are, are as equal as it can get. But when it comes to physically being able to do things, it is a fact that I will be able to do some things better than you. It might be lifting a hundred pounds more times than you, but there are some things that I am physically able to do <laughs> better than you are. And my wife weighs about 125 pounds. If there's somebody breaking into my vehicle or my house, I'm not sending my wife out there to see what she, she can do because, Hey, we're equal. I went last time you go this time I'm 200 pounds. You know, I think I could probably handle the situation a little better than her. doesn't make me a better person. I'm not saying I'm better than her. Cause believe me, She's way smarter than me, and there's plenty of stuff she can do better than me. But I think we're completely naive as a society to sit here and think that everybody is 100% equal in everything that they can do. That is not true. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. In my household, because I live alone with Tickles, I will let Tickles stay in the room and I'll, I'm going to go fight, you know. So you think you're better than Tickles? <laughs> is that what you? No, physically. <laughs> Tickles is only four pounds. Uh, I should probably mention. <laughs> well, how dare you? A four-pound person can do, or four-pound animal can do what you do. 
<laughs> yeah, they don't call her tacticals for nothing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that book's going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to share more information about that one because the, the guest writers in there, and I'll be talking to you about that, too, to see if you can help out. The guest writers are going to be some pretty cool people, very, very influential people and people that are important to me in the industry. Very nice. That's cool. All right. So where can listeners find you? You know, we're not really good at updating our website, legallyarnedamerica.com. We, our reach is so much better on YouTube. To be honest with you right now, YouTube is the best place to catch any of my videos. We do a, um, a weekly live stream on Friday nights at 7 p.m. Central. That's actually kind of fun. Um, I don't know if it uh, goes against what some people that are politically correct uh, uh, like to see, but it's uh, it's basically an excuse on a Friday evening to drink beer. Now we're not talking about getting, uh, you know, I don't, I don't roll a case up into my gun room to do this. <laughs> uh, by then I've usually had one beer. So it's really just a, you know, kind of a, it's a joke about bring your own beers. I think some of the guys that sit in on the uh, live stream, drink a heck of a lot more than me, but we just talk about guns. It's, it's a real quick synopsis of whatever the weekly uh, things were, whatever news was out there and may, maybe talk about some of the guns that I have coming up in some videos. And of course, it's kind of a cool thing. If I had a new gun that I got that week, I can kind of show it to a lot of those guys before I actually do a video of it. So that's kind of cool too, the Friday night thing, but I try to put content out anywhere from one to three videos a week on my YouTube page because I have to keep up with uh, the Fox show. I mean, one thing I'm real proud of is with uh, the first 52 weeks, the first year of my show on Fox, I only had four reruns, which means that I had 48 weeks of all new content. And that's tough to keep up with. So, I mean, I have to provide quite a bit of content. Very cool. And then your YouTube channel, what is it called? Just in case of Legally Armed America. Yeah, so just go to YouTube slash uh, YouTube.com slash Legally Armed America. Okay, cool. I might have to join you for the Friday night. I'll just bring some vodka or something. Yeah, yeah, do that. I'll give you that, you know, that guy in the comments where you're like, all right, can we block her? She's a little (laughs) out of hand. (laughs) Well, we actually, um, and I haven't done it in a while, but we we need to get you on there. Um, We've had some guests in there where we've used the Google Hangouts or some of the other things. Uh And uh, we've actually had some other video guests on there uh, too. So we need to work that out and bring some of your uh, viewers over and get some of ours introduced to you. Yeah, definitely. I would love that. All right. Can you hang out with us for a little bit? Sure. Us, Tickles and I. Tickles is sitting here right <laughs> in on my lap. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's talk about Q. I also started a YouTube channel a few months ago. And uh, last week I released a video where I'm shooting the fix finally. And I you know, I shot my target. Uh, it was only at 220 yards. I was just really kind of just like, I was just trying to zero in my optic. And I'm sure that this is going to be one of those videos where once I, you know, get confident enough uh, shooting the fix and shooting long distance, I'm going to look back at this video and probably cringe. But I figured I would release the video anyways, just as, you know, like people can kind of... um watch me on my journey, kind of getting acquainted with long distance shooting. And uh, since then, I just ordered a bunch of uh, stuff from like Coltac. And I have somebody, a friend coming out who shoots long distance uh, to work with me. So I'm really excited to see how far I can take this because my goal would be, I don't know, I think right now the only range, the the longest range that I have access to is a thousand yards. So that would probably be my goal for right now, but I'm hoping to take it beyond that. 
and uh, just kind of really excited to see how far I could push myself. So if you guys want to check out the fix, uh, it's really awesome. Bolt action gun. Go to liveqordie.com. Dropping wisdom. Slinging truth. Prepare yourself for Knowledge Bomb. In 2009, a man named Tracy Engel was sentenced to 18 years in prison for felony assault after pointing his gun at officers raiding his home in a no-knock raid. He was shot five times and police didn't find the drugs they were looking for. So after digging a little bit deeper into the story, basically police broke a window, used a ram to the door. Tracy was sleeping at the time, um, but it, you know, when they broke his window, I think it was to his bedroom, it woke him up. He grabbed a gun that actually happened to be broken, but he was just trying to scare off the intruders. When he realized that it actually, when it was police officers, that it wasn't an intruder, he dropped the gun, but they had opened fire and he spent about a week in the hospital and then was transferred to jail. He was no, he wasn't given any antibiotics and they were supposed to be changing out his bandages. Like I think it was twice a day, but they only changed him out, I think twice in a week or something. So they ended up, his, his uh, wounds ended up getting infected. Police never found any drugs. Basically all they found was like a scale and small baggies, which his sister said belonged to her because she had a jewelry business, which I guess is pretty common with jewelry businesses. In March of 2009, a jury found Tracy Engel guilty of maintaining a drug house, again, even though there was no drugs found, and a felony assault. The judge sentenced him to 18 years in prison and fined him $18,000. Tracy Engel took his case to the Arkansas Court of Appeals, which was on May 12, 2010, and they basically affirmed his conviction. So it's kind of crappy. I think it sounded like maybe police were kind of trying to cover up uh something bad that they did, like something, you know, that they were kind of in the wrong, but I don't know. I try to do a little bit more research to see like if, you know, if he is still doing time, which it sounds like he is, he's still in jail, but just such a crazy story. I mean, it's just obviously if anybody, you know, if somebody's banging on your door, somebody breaks a window, anybody's going to grab a gun if you have a firearm and uh, try to protect yourself because you're not sure what it is, but I don't know. Just definitely an interesting story. So, uh, yeah, that is your knowledge bomb. And let's talk about Sportsman's Guide. So right now they have 25% off clothing and footwear. I have my eyes set on some footwear for hiking. Really nice. And their prices are pretty great. So with 25% off, obviously it's even better. I'd definitely check out their stuff. Go to sportsmansguide.com and tell them we sent you. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as... Never mind. AF. Paul, I know that you said you kind of hate talking about politics, even though that's sort of what you do. <laughs> right. But... You know, recently, like in the last couple of weeks, well, week and a half, it came out that right after the Virginia Beach shooting, Trump said that he would consider banning silencers. And of course, this upset, you know, a lot of the 2A community because it's like, well, cool, Trump, like you just got bump stocks banned. Now you're going to work on silencers. And, you know, kind of looking back, it's like this really should have like having Trump as president, it should have worked in our favor. And if anything, we should have 
we should have gotten we should have had less laws than obviously more, but it's kind of working uh, quite opposite. And then also recently, the Supreme Court left intact a federal law that requires the registration of some firearms, including silencers, and turned away a request to consider whether such firearm accessories are protected by the Second Amendment. So yeah, lots of interesting things going on. I'm kind of interested. It's weird because it's like, everyone's like, oh, you know, Trump's not gun friendly but i know his son is trump jr yeah um and from like i kind of just think that maybe trump doesn't have a ton of experience with guns so he doesn't understand them as well but and i know that a lot of people that are anti-gun are like oh silencers you know it makes people you know they could easily kill somebody and nobody would know it but that's not really how silencers work contrary to the name it's not like it makes the entire round you know when you fire it silent you can still hear it. It just makes it a little bit. It's it's just it, it sounds a lot better when you shoot it. It's not as loud. Yeah, I think, first of all, I like the way you think, because you think a lot like I do in terms of how Trump looks at guns. I I think that there there are two sides of the argument that are kind of both wrong about Trump. I don't think Trump is <clears throat> and this is probably going to get you some hate mail because uh, I get it whenever I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think Trump is as pro-gun as you and I are. Yeah. I don't think, exactly like you said, I don't think he understands guns. Trump certainly did not grow up like I did. So I know that he's not been exposed to guns the same way I do. He probably doesn't uh, experience, or uh, I should say respect guns. You know, has, honestly, has Trump ever fired a gun? Have you seen a picture with him? I've seen Obama shoot a gun before, mm-hmm. or at least hold one. Um, I, don't, I don't know that other than at an NRA meeting that I haven't seen Trump even hold a gun before. Uh, I'm not saying that's a prerequisite to be a president that's pro second amendment. What I'm saying is, you know, people want to rah, rah that will really lay down on their sword for anything Trump says. And I'm like, you know, you can't be like, it's hard to be all in for one person on every single thing that they say. Mm -hmm. And I voted for Trump. I want to get that out of the way now. I voted for him. I mean, obviously look what the alternative was, but I voted for the man. I think think anyone who is pro-gun probably voted for Trump, regardless if they liked him or not, because Hillary was just the worst decision ever. Like, that yes. Was, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure like majority people voted for Trump. If you're right. In the community. But I have often said on many of my uh, videos and a lot of my live streams, especially, I think Trump, this is just this is my personal opinion of Trump in general. I think Trump is a people pleaser. I mean, obviously, he was a Democrat for many, 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 many years. And then he became a Republican. Then he ran for president. So clearly, I don't think his political views evolved that much over the years. I think he just chose a different party to be a part of. So I don't think he's been 100% committed. I think Trump really, he, he's hes a narcissist, and I don't mean that in a negative way. A lot of very fine people look at everybody in Hollywood that some people idolize. I mean, they're, they're there because they're narcissists. I mean, to a certain degree, you and I might be because we like being in the, quote, entertainment industry. You know what I mean? There's probably, a, we could probably be classified as narcissists as well. Yeah. So with that being said, I feel like Trump, genuinely is a good person, I do feel like, and I think he wants people to like him. And I feel like if Trump feels like a certain, if the majority of people are going to lean a certain way, then he's going to lean that way. And a perfect example of that is with guns. Okay, after the Las Vegas shooting, 500, uh, excuse me, 58 people are shot and killed, 200 more injured. Everybody is freaking out over this, the largest massacre like this in U.S. history, And Trump 
is hearing all of this. He mm-hmm. Trump watches what people are saying about him. He's watching the news. He reads the papers. He's very he definitely knows what's happening in current events. There's no doubt about it. Trump is very much aware. He may say, I don't listen to other people. And I don't care what they think. But he does. He listens and he cares. And he's listening to the American people go on about bump stocks. And I think that's why he made the comment about bump stocks. Now, he seemed to see it through also to make his uh, ATF go ahead and end up banning them, which uh, that's a totally different story if you want to ever talk about that, because I have always said you should have never ceded that power to the ATF, because I do believe a bump stock is an accessory and the ATF had no jurisdiction over that. So they had no grounds to say anything Mm -hmm. that should they should have just kept quiet about it. That's what Trump should have said. You shut up about these because. You don't have jurisdiction. We shouldn't have given them jurisdiction over an accessory. Yeah. But I do feel like Trump is a people pleaser. And I think that with the suppressor thing, if he took two minutes of his time to even Google how many times suppressors have been used in a crime, he would quickly see that they've got nothing to do with criminals. And you would also read the first things I read about the uh, Virginia Beach shooting where the guy used a suppressor a couple of weeks ago was that other people, now he was a forty-five caliber. If you've ever shot a forty-five caliber with a suppressor, you know very well that you probably still want to put your finger in your ear whenever you shoot that. It is not, like you said, silent. It just makes a lower noise that still is not a comfortable noise to hear. Mm-hmm. And people were making the comment, the first reports of the guy shooting was that they heard something that sounded like gunfire and they didn't know where it came from. Well, wait a minute. I thought silencers make things silent. These people still were identifying that audible report of that gun as gunfire. They knew it was still a gun. So where's the advantage to the guy? And look, if you I've heard people say, well, when cops hear the gunshot, they know where it's coming from so they can go there. Look, you can still hear that that suppressed gun from plenty far away. And in all honesty, if you're far enough away with a gun where you can't hear it, even with a suppressor, then you're probably not any real danger to me. I mean, seriously, if you're. 500 yards from me, you're not that much of a danger to me. Um, I just think that the overall argument is ridiculous. And I think Trump got sucked into it because here we have a suppressor that was used. And again, Trump having a very limited knowledge of guns in general, it's, ooh, that sounded spooky. You know, him reading some of these headlines because he can say all he wants that he doesn't read fake news, uh, CNN's headlines, but he absolutely does because he always knows what they're saying about him. So he reads these anti-gun media outlets, what their headlines are. And, you know, Trump being a person, he's reading how these things are worded. And he might have been somewhat intimidated about the, oh, a silencer was used. Wow. What a, what an evil, diabolical thing to do. Use a silencer to kill people, not realizing that didn't have any effect on anything. He still killed the amount of people that he was trying to shoot. He didn't kill more. I mean, if he was out there shooting for that long, I've often wondered, I'm, I'm I feel like we're fortunate that he only killed 12 people. I'm not saying that, you know, we're keeping score here, but let's be real about it. You know, I I feel like if he had that much of an advantage, he probably would have killed 50 people, you know? So people still heard it as gunfire is my point. And I I think that Trump, unfortunately, has limited knowledge on guns in general, and he doesn't know the right thing to get behind. I feel like he doesn't even communicate with Don Jr. I do feel like Don Jr. is very pro-gun, and I do feel like Don Jr. understands guns a whole lot more than his father. And I've even said this on social media. Does John, Don Jr. even talk to his dad? Because it I seems know. like they don't even speak to each other. I know. I often wonder about that as well. Because I know that Donald Trump Jr. has gone you know, out of his way to like visit companies. Like he went to Falcor Defense. Like I've seen pictures of him in 
where he like visits, you know, the companies or has like guns made for him. And like, he just, he's very much a, a gun enthusiast. So if anything, president Trump could just ask his son. Right. I agree. Seem like they communicate. No, not at all. I mean, I get it. Trump's president, you know, I mean, I guess he doesn't have these little fireside chats with his son very often. I understand that, but you would think Don Jr. would maybe text his dad and say, Hey dad, slow your roll for a minute. Maybe we need to talk about this topic before you go saying stuff about it. Yeah. I know. I have to think about that as well. Just a few, like, I know a lot of people are like, well, why do you need silencers? And before I kind of got into guns, I kind of used to think the same thing. And I just, you know, I think if anything, like my opinion is that it makes it a lot more pleasant to shoot. It's polite if you're next to somebody and you're shooting a really large caliber or even if it's a smaller caliber, you know, how many times are you shooting next to somebody and it's like, you know, the muzzle blast and everything. It's just like you can feel, you know, you could just feel that. I think it's it's great for new shooters. Like if you're introducing new shooters to guns and they're kind of afraid of the noise, you know, it's, it's often better for them to use a gun that's silenced. I think that's probably the biggest benefit right there. And that's, again, maybe another reason why the anti-gun community doesn't like uh, suppressors. Yeah. Because I do, I 100% agree with you on that. I think the biggest benefit of suppressors is that, you know, as well as I do, when people shoot a gun, the most intimidating part of it is usually not the recoil. It's the loud report. Yeah. Um, I remember that as a kid shooting a 22. Well, of course, there was no recall. But wow, that loud, sharp pop, you know, was very intimidating. I mean, scientifically, you can look at things where, you know, audible noises intimidate people. I mean, whenever I go, if you go to a NASCAR race, I know that car is not going to run me over because they're on a track that's protected and not coming over. But wow, you know, the hair stands up on my arm. It's not because I'm impressed. It's because that's a very loud, intimidating noise, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, your, your, your mind and the way you react to these loud noises makes a difference. And if you can suppress that, I really and truly believe this, and I'm not trying to spin this from a pro-gun standpoint. I think you make that person that you're introducing guns to a much safer shooter because now they've got, they've cut through all that intimidating factor of, that now they have to psychologically break down the fact that this gun is not a harmful gun. You can shoot this gun. You are going to be able to handle this gun. Now they're not trying to talk themselves into shooting the gun the rest of the day and learning about gun safety. You know, they're, they're already okay with it. They're comfortable with it because you've taken that intimidating piece out of it. And guess what? Maybe the next time they shoot a gun that doesn't have a suppressor. Yeah. That noise is still a little bit intimidating, but now they know the gun is controllable. I mean, when you hear a 12 gauge shotgun, blast and you're a child and you you know you hear that you immediately think there's no way i can handle that gun i mean it's just an intimidating sound i mean to be able to suppress that to me is a huge benefit to make a a newer shooter a safer shooter in a much shorter period of time yeah i agree it's crazy that here you have to jump through all these hoops just to get a a suppressor whereas like in other countries it's just yeah you know it's I mean, in some countries, not every country, but an, an interesting story is back in uh, probably 2016, maybe I actually sent off for six suppressors, one of them being a 12 gauge salvo. And I received uh, I sent all of the six forms in, in the same envelope, s- separate forms, of course, but same envelope with one check to the federal government for twelve hundred dollars. They cashed my check within two weeks. Uh, let's see. Thirteen months later, I got five of my suppressors. To this day, three years later, I still have not received my 12-gauge salvo because the ATF is telling the gun company, who is still guarding my gun, my 
12 gates of pressure that I have paid for that I cannot pick up, the ATF is telling them that I never sent them payment, yet they cashed a $1,200 check that included $200 of that for that salvo. That's that's how our government works. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised that you haven't done anything. I mean, can you get like a lawyer or something? I'm going to be able to take care of it, but think of it this way. Okay, I have a business, and this this check was in on my business account. I have to scroll through. I can find proof. I will be able to find proof, but you have to scroll through three and a half years mm-hmm. worth of bank statements to find where the, where they cashed it. In fact, I went, I did go back to the gun store that I bought it from about two weeks ago and they gave me all the forms that I sent into the ATF so that I can at least track a date down of roughly when that check would have been cashed. Cause I know for sure after I wrote it, it was almost exactly two weeks after. So they helped me at least go back and find out when that form was filed so that I can narrow it down and at least not have to scroll through every single month. I can go back to a general area in time, find that. And I I don't feel like the ATF is going to, they're probably going to say, oops, my bad, whenever they see that. But I have to provide the proof. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the messed up thing. I've got to prove to them that, yeah, I paid you and you cashed my check. Yep, pretty ridiculous. All right, let's talk about Sharps Bros. Paul, are you familiar with Sharps Bros? I am not. They are the ones, you probably are, once I describe it. So they're the ones that have like the, if you see the lower and it has like a skull on it or a hog or they have the Hellbreaker and yes. they make AR lowers. Yeah. So that's Sharps Bros. A lot of people okay. think that, that it's actually Spikes that made it, but it's not. It, it's uh, Sharps Bros. And um, so they have all these awesome lowers, um, which are just extremely unique. They also, I was kind of scrolling through their website and they have some really cool t-shirt designs. My favorite is, it is the Dangerous Good shirt. Really cool design. Uh, it's only $24.57. So definitely go to sharpsbros.com, check them out. And uh, now it's time to do the Q&A. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. One of the Patreons named Trev, he asked, what can I as a husband do to encourage my wife to carry concealed? Or what should I not say or do so she feels comfortable carrying? So my two cents is I think a lot of people just they prefer to just not know the reality of things. They like to kind of live in a bubble and think that like crime doesn't exist or it only happens to people that they don't know and it's never going to happen to them. So I would almost just, you know, kind of encourage to like talk about political or not political, but current events, like where something like a tragedy happened, have her watch the news, like have her realize like even locally, there's a lot of crime taking place nearby. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of people think like, well, as long as I just avoid a bad neighborhood, I don't need a gun. You know, I think that, you know, but it's like nowadays, I mean, you can go to church, the movies, shopping, grocery shopping, and some wacko opens fire. So you really want to make sure that you do have a gun on you at all times in order to really be able to, you know, protect yourself. It's not where it's like back in the day where, you know, maybe we were going in a seedy, a seedy neighborhood. I would say also, I think a lot of people tend to not carry because they're not comfortable with their firearm. So even if you don't, you know, if she doesn't want to go to the range, I would suggest getting snap caps and they're like, I don't know, 
$15 for five of them. They're essentially dummy rounds and just have her play with her gun just at home, loading, unloading, pretending to clear malfunctions. Um, if she feels comfortable, you know, take her to the range, um, maybe even hire an instructor, you know, somebody that'll work with her one-on-one so that she gets comfortable and proficient using her firearm because that also kind of just builds up that, you know, that confidence. And then make sure that, you know, you get her a comfortable holster. And I wish I could say like, oh, guys, like this comfortable is perfect for women. But everyone's, you know, everyone's body is different. Their body shapes, what feels comfortable depending on like their clothing. Maybe I wear really tight clothing, which is going to be a little bit more difficult to conceal a firearm on me. Um, but they do have a lot of, a lot more holsters than they have for women. And I would check out like a flashbang holster. Um, they're known for their bra holster, but they also make a lot of other holsters that cater to women or even like Amazon or belly bands. Um, but get her something that she's comfortable using. And then I would just have her practice at home carrying that gun because, you know, even if it's unloaded and then once she kind of gets comfortable having that gun on her or practice drawing, then it doesn't seem like such a, it doesn't seem so scary when she goes out in public and she's actually carrying a gun, you know, with live ammunition. What are your two cents, Paul? I agree with most of what you said, because uh, first of all, you being an instructor, I think is probably the best thing because uh, best advice I could give your listener, first of all, is as a husband, don't give your wife any advice because if she's anything like mine, she's not listening and, uh, you know, we just don't receive advice from our spouses very well, men or women. Yeah. I think the best thing to do is to get somebody else, whether they're, uh, you know, this highly decorated person or not, but somebody else that, uh, that knows about guns can be safe about it. And that can just talk to them, to her about guns and maybe even take her to the range without the husband. I know that sounds ugly and I'm not making a joke about it, even though I'm saying it kind of in, in joking but um, I, I do think it's important. I have seen more unsafe gun practice at ranges, at public ranges, where boyfriends and husbands are trying to, uh, to quote, train or school their wife or girlfriend on how to use a gun. And I have, that's where I've seen the most holes in tables and in awnings above the uh, range. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important that, uh, I mean, having somebody like you, honestly, I've said this before, that I think that you do a lot for our community and the gun community. I think that there needs to be more women like you that are very knowledgeable, not semi-knowledgeable. I'm talking about very knowledgeable because you have to be able to take all the aspects of of shooting and uh, introduce more women to the sport. And I do feel like a woman would take a lot. It'd be easier for us to her to take it from you. Heck, even if it's an email, you know what I mean? Just a, yeah. a vote of confidence or something like that. But gosh, I think the worst advice is the husband trying to convince us. My wife doesn't carry a gun and I can't convince her to. You know, I think you're right. Also talking about the uh, the bad neighborhoods and whatnot. Look, I lived in a gated I, excuse me. I live in a gated community right now. Our neighborhood got complacent and uh, we do not have a gate that closes off in the front. But the whole community is gated. There's a boulevard that comes in. And I had over ten thousand dollars worth of guns stolen out of my vehicle about three or four weeks ago. Wow. And um, that I was filming with. And we live in a very nice neighborhood very very nice and what happened was uh one of the there's a long story about the how it went down but there was a community about an hour and a half from here that uh, four guys just drove over here and just picked nicer neighborhoods and went checking doors and uh they they broke into mine and one of the guys that ended up getting shot over this 
was a six time felon. And one of his uh, felonies was uh, manslaughter. So wow. like you said, the neighborhoods, yeah, you don't have to live in a bad neighborhood to have these elements in your, they were six feet from my son's bed as he slept outside my house. So yes, you do not have to live in the ghetto to have that bad, bad element in your neighborhood and to have that same danger. Had my wife got up in the middle of the night and heard something outside and walked outside, she'd probably not be here today. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that is so scary. So did you, were you able to get the guns back? Uh, one so far that was used oh. in a shootout. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it is a saga. I promise you there's, there may be a, a, a mini series filmed out of this thing. Once it happens, there's so many, it was the perfect storm in every single way that this whole, event even happen. Wow. I'm surprised that you actually got it back that quickly because I know uh, when my dad had a lot of his, his uh, gun store was, was uh, burglarized and it took him almost two years to get back almost 40 guns. Well, let me, let me correct. I haven't gotten anything back. They have located at okay. least one. Let me, okay. yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So it's it's going to be a little while. It's going to be a very long while because this gun was used in a shootout. So mm-hmm. now it was, and now it's just not part of a crime as, as being evidence for a stolen piece of property. Now it was used in an actual yeah. shooting. So yeah, I may never see that gun again. That's what I was thinking. I wonder, probably depending on the state laws, like they might even destroy the gun. It'll probably go in an evidence locker for a little while, and yes, probably be detro- destroyed at some point. It's an FNX uh, uh, tactical forty-five. Oh, okay, so it's not like a super, super like you know, it's not like a rare gun or super expensive. No, it's no, it's, it's unfortunate. It's none, nothing that I would have ever ever carried. It was just a yeah. nice gun. I like the fact that it held seventeen rounds of forty-five, yeah. and yeah, yeah, it's a cool gun. I just I, I hate it. I do have some that are going to be a little bit harder to replace that I'm upset about. I will say this. I had a 1942 M1 Garand that was in my vehicle that same day that for some reason I grabbed it. Again, I can go into the story another time about how those guns were in my vehicle. They shouldn't have been in there, but I was complacent and lazy and that's how they ended up getting stolen. It was all my fault. So luckily I got the Garand out. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully you get them back. Oh, I know that's frustrating. All right. Well, talking about guns, uh, Polymer 80 they, I don't know if you've seen the Cadone, but it's kind of like the Roni, but this one accepts a bunch of different guns, a bunch of handguns, depending on the adapter that you have. So I have a Glock adapter being sent out to me because I got my hands on a Glock 18. So I'm going to shoot it full auto. So I'm pretty excited about that. If you guys want to check out their stuff, go to Palmer80.com and use the code GUNFUNNY10 and that gets you 10% off. Tactic Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Paul, you recently reviewed the Mossberg MC1 SC. And then I also had a chance to shoot it at range day when we were at SHOT Show. But I'm interested to hear uh, what you have to say about it. Okay, first impressions, of course. And when I say that, it's before I shot it aesthetically pleasing they did a very good job i thought lining lines up Uh, as i say in one of my videos that i did uh reviewing the mc1 uh, i am i'm just unfortunately i'm very ocd as a person and i look at small things bother me about guns whenever uh they're not aesthetically pleasing or they don't do things right and i felt like they did a lot of things right that make the gun very pleasing to look at um, I do think that it fits in your hand good. The ang- the grip angle is actually very good. They angled it more like a 1911 versus a Glock. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of things to like about it. I absolutely love the way it tears down. If you've looked at how this thing tears down where you don't have to uh, pull the trigger like a Glock, Mm -hmm. you pull off the little base plate on the back of the slide and you remove the striker there and then the slide goes forward. That is awesome. I mean, what a cool patent pending thing that they've, they've done there. But then when I get to the shooting portion of my video, um, I was very disappointed to find that it was extremely easy for me to make the gun not go into battery. I had experienced it not going into battery a couple of times because I was trying to shoot the gun. When I do a review on a gun that's being pitched as a self-defense or a concealed carry gun, I always shoot it with one hand also to try mm-hmm. to mimic limp wristing to see if I can make it stovepipe or malfunction because in a concealed carry environment, we're very likely to have to shoot it with one hand. Mm-hmm. Well, this one here did not stovepipe. However, it failed to go into battery many times. And I was actually able to go back and recreate that uh, shooting it one-handed twice with only one magazine. I mean, there's 10 rounds in this thing or however, I forget however many rounds, seven rounds. I'm sorry, seven. Yeah, six and, and then seven. Yes. And in the six or seven round magazine, I was able to make this thing fail to go in the battery twice. That is unacceptable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't know if it's a recoil spring issue. I don't know if it's the fact that the slide and the frame combo have to be shot enough times to where it breaks it in to where it doesn't drag on it. All I can think of is maybe between breaking it in and the recoil spring being light enough to where uh, a weaker person can still charge the slide. I mean, you know, the dynamics that go in play there, you know, you put too, too hard of a recoil spring in, then it's hard for somebody to rack the slide, but at least it will force it back in the battery a lot harder. So I think there might be something there that uh, maybe the recall spring is right on the edge of being able to send this thing back in the battery. But that's if if you want to market this thing as a self-defense gun, you better make it work when somebody weak or one handed is shooting it. And that was a very big disappointment to me. And I can't completely bash the thing because I love a lot about the the MC one. But that's come on, man. It's got to work. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the same thing happened with the P365 forever. Right. Everyone was having issues. And I guess that's kind of what irritates me about guns being released is I don't think that they're tested as much as they should be, especially as a self-defense firearm. I mean, it should go through the ultimate testing. But I think a lot of these companies just get caught up where it's like, okay, we got to release this in time for SHOT Show. The minute they release it, people are like, when is it going to ship? And it's just like kind of everything happens a little bit too quickly, but you know, you and I, we know like we would test our gun, make sure that everything's cycling well, that we can absolutely, you know, trust our lives with it. Whereas most people they'll buy the gun. They usually put it on top of their closet or something. Um, maybe load it, maybe they don't even shoot it. And, you know, so I think what bothers me is like with SIG, the P365, I had a lot of issues when I initially got one of their first, uh, the first generation and uh, and so did a lot of other people. But what bothers me is a lot of people that did buy that gun, they have yet to test fire it or, you know, so and they're they're relying on it to for self-protection. Right. So maybe you're right. So maybe they do have to just make a few adjustments, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about the uh, the gun community. At the, and I get it. Look, I'm not blaming any one company because I mm-hmm. promise you they all do it. But yeah, absolutely. The, pressure to get these guns out you know you got to figure with that when that mc1 came out and i'm just using this as an example they're sitting back knowing that okay they have a gun that they're probably testing they probably reached a certain level of acceptable malfunctions that they said all right 
you know, hey, boss, this gun's not exactly working 100% of the time. Well, how many times is it failing? Well, it's failing this many times. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah. You know, and he because he's thinking he's watching the Glock 43 over here, who is one of his direct competitors selling like hotcakes still. And they're like, man, we're selling a cheaper gun that's very equivalent to that. We got to get this gun on the market because we're losing potential sales right now. OK, how many malfunctions is that again? Good enough. Put it out there. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like I know and, and, and we're part of the problem. We are because we expect them. But yeah. my thing is, honestly, Ava, if you're going to put a gun out, do not take it to SHOT Show unless you're ready to start selling it. I firmly believe that because yeah. that's where you create the problem. When a Mossberg or a Glock or anyone else brings a gun and they let influencers and everybody else shoot this thing and they're taking pictures of it and they're talking about it. They got these massive posters and then they say, when's it going to be available? Eh, June or July. Are you serious? Why did yeah. you just show me now? I know. You know, I get it that you're wanting to let people know it's coming, but you're not selling any guns until June or July, so why show it to me now? Or look at the Desert Tech, what, the MDR. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, and to be honest with you, you know as well as I do how most gun people are in the gun industry. Okay, money, when we make up our mind to buy a gun, money is burning a hole in our pocket. Mm -hmm. If you show me a gun in January and I have... And I'm using, say this jokingly, I have permission from my wife to spend a thousand dollars on a gun in January. If you tell me it's not going to be available till July, I'm not going to have that thousand dollars to spend on that gun in July. Because guess what? I'm going to buy a gun in January because yeah. I have permission now, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I have the money now. They're mm -hmm. not going to wait. So you're not doing yourself any good. I'm not going to sit on my my thousand bucks until July to wait on your MC1 or whatever other gun to come out. Mm hmm. You know, so kind of going back to the Mossberg, I am, I am surprised that it doesn't hold more rounds because it is kind of thicker than your typical single stack. And it's crazy to me, like kind of going back to the P365, it's insane how they engineered that to hold as many rounds as it does. Uh, like, like, 100%. Or it's insane. Yes, it is. And, and I'm going to tell you right now that I, I echo what you're saying about the Mossberg, because if you look at the Glocks, for instance, okay, a Glock magazine is polymer with a metal insert in it. Mm -hmm. So naturally, their Glock, uh, excuse me, their magazines are going to take up a certain amount of width, but not be able to have quite as much inside because, again, you have two layers. You have metal yeah. and plastic. But with the, the Mossberg, it's all plastic. So I guess the plastic is thicker. So because there's no metal insert in it, I mean, possibly. And, and really, if you talk to some of these magazine manufacturers, they'll be the first ones to tell you that translucent magazines are cool, but they're hard to make because yeah. the clear plastic is not as strong as your colored, darker, you know, uh -huh. non-see-through plastic. But why not make it? Why not make a metal magazine? SIG is exactly what you said. SIG knocked it out of the park because of magazine capacity. Yeah. In that P365, I'm still flabbergasted that nobody else has stolen whatever engineering that SIG used on the P365 and just said, you know what, you know, heck with it. We're going to I don't care if we're stealing SIG technology or not. They're stealing so much market share out there with this P365 based mm -hmm. on solely mag capacity. Let's do the same thing and just do it. Make a metal magazine that holds the same amount. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then also what's really nice is MSRP is 425, which so that means, I mean, you could easily probably get the gun for like what three fifty or something. Yeah, I see um, regularly for that. Yeah, so I mean, that's actually not a bad price as well. But if, hopefully, they just kind of figure out, you know, that that little hiccup. But I am excited for them to uh, kind of branch off into handguns. 
There's five more in the making, I believe, or four more. I think yeah, five, five on total. their website, I saw that they had a designated tab for handguns. So I'm like, oh, they're going to come out with some more stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. iTunes reviews. All right. So the first iTunes review is Adel Joy. Five stars. Great show. One of the uh, one of the few gun related shows I listen to. Ava's mean girl sense of humor cracks me up. But the content is always spot on. Great guests, great content. Keep on crushing. P.S. I already have a patch. So if it comes down to me and someone else, let the other guy win. <laughs> mean girl, sense of humor. Yeah, I, I, I see where she's coming from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Iowa Shop Teacher, five stars, amazing podcast. Gun Funny is not only an amazing podcast, it also keeps me literally laughing out loud. Uh, checking the Facebook Patreon page on my lunch break is like a little comedic oasis from the daily grind. I also enjoy how the humor is like my coffee, dark and plentiful. <laughs> Thanks for the great show, Ava. Trev, shop teacher. All right. So I guess, I mean, usually I would have the guest pick who the winner should be to win a patch. But I'm guessing, I don't know. What do you think? I know that the first person said to pick the other person. I'm not picking. I think they're both well, no, awesome comments. Well, that's, your, that's your job. That's what you're. That's why you're here. That this entire like moment, this show has been leading up to this moment. So I get fired if I don't pick. Basically, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, honor the wishes of the first one. Then, how about that? At least it seems like you're a team player. All right. So Iowa shop teacher, and that uh, he is a a patron. So contact me and I will send you out a patch. And then we are finally wrapping up. I know this show seems like it's it's actually gone uh, kind of long, uh, which is good. But it, I really enjoyed all the conversations that we had. You have really nice input. But if you guys uh, want to find us in other places, go to gunfunny.com. There's links to everything, all social media, YouTube. Even there's like, a, if you click on support us, there's... Uh, affiliate links. So if you're buying something from like a Brownell, Sportsman's Guide, uh, Lone Wolf, any of those places, uh, we get a percentage of those sales. Uh, so it's kind of a nice way to support the show without having to really do too much on your part. And then if you also want to support the show, you should consider becoming a Patreon. Just a dollar gets you access to our Patreon-only Facebook page. So Trev, who just wrote that second review, how he said that it's, you know, very funny and it's kind of just a nice little break from his regular grind. I always have a lot of fun in the Patreon group and it's inappropriate, but it's also just, it's just a nice little community. And I really, really just adore all of the Patreons, some more than others, obviously. <laughs> um, and then depending on your level of Patreon, there's a lot of other things like you can win cool prizes and stuff. Uh, to our $25 Patreons, that is Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Charger Arms, Ryan Morrison, Kevin Brittingham, Michael Alexio, and Silencer Shop. And thank you to our king of the Patreon, Jon Snow, which I will say whatever he wants me to say. In this case, he wants me to say that in an average living room, there are 1,242 objects operator tickles could use to kill you, including the room itself. 
Yep. Operator Tickles. That's my dog. And then all of your guys' Patreon pledge helps out the show. It all goes back into the show. Because of you guys, we're um, able to afford an editor. So if you think the show sounds better, it's because of Kenny Ortega, who is just amazing. And he really works his butt off for Gun Funny. So I greatly appreciate him. And I greatly appreciate your guys' support. Uh, One last giveaway. If you want to go to gunfunny.com forward slash tp every month i'm giving away a tag pack just choosing one lucky winner all you have to do to enter is just put your your first and last name and your email address otherwise if you can't wait and you want to just go directly to tagpack.com use the code gunfunny and with your first box you will get a free sock tool all right paul well thank you very much uh can you just remind guests one more time where they can find you yeah i mean the Best way, if you got any input for me, is Paul at LegallyArmedAmerica.com, and our website is LegallyArmedAmerica.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon with me. I really, really appreciate it, and you were a really good guest. You had some really insightful information, so I appreciate your time. Enjoyed it. Thanks for the invite. All right. We're out of here. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.